This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Dave? What's up, Aaron? Now I got a now I have a visual with my emails. I am talking to Aaron Kane. The guy in the center of the Sudden Impact Point, in the middle of the Boys to Men Motown Philly video, at the heart of the thing I have been obsessed with for three decades. The guy behind the point is now on my laptop screen talking to me. I'm finally about to find out what happened to Sudden Impact. This is a significant life event. But first, I need some very basic information. Like, who is everyone? I pull up a screenshot of the Sudden Impact Point. I have the picture here. There it is. That's it. Can you talk me through who's who? I was the guy in the middle with the bow tie looking like a waiter. Because <laughs> I was the lead singer. Had to set yourself apart. Yeah. I'm in the middle with the bow tie. Right. So all the way, all the way. Yep. That's my brother. That's my brother. That's Noel. The guy who you really can't tell what he looks like because his point obscures his entire face. That is Noel Kane. The next guy is Dave. The shy guy, the one who's looking at and pointing to the director a little bit off camera. That's Dave. Just Dave. Listening back to this, I realize I should have asked for a last name. And this is a thing that will come back and bite me in the ass. The next guy is Alan Healy. That's my man. The guy who's pointing in kind of an Uncle Sam wants you kind of way. And then the next guy, that's Todd that was writing all the songs. Todd White is on the right in what looks like a modified Billy Ray Cyrus mullet. Very on trend for 1991. Todd's the guy who had the idea for Sudden Impact. And that's the guy who you met when you were going to fight. Exactly. That's how the whole thing started. Two guys getting ready to go to blows. The story of Sudden Impact, as told to me by Aaron Kane, is cinematic. It's got ups and downs. It has set pieces and moments that would cut down into a beautiful montage. And between two of the leads, a meet-cute. On this episode, the story of sudden impact from Aaron Kane, the guy who was right in the middle of the action. This is Waiting for Impact, a Dave Holmes passion project. Where are you right now? I am in my studio in my house right now. I got my, just sitting in front of my studio, Blackwood, New Jersey, right over the bridge from Philadelphia. Philly, a place, by the way, that Aaron visited for the first time ever when he and the boys shot their cameo in the Motown Philly video. We'll get into how he came to settle in Philadelphia a little bit later. But first, let's get into how this whole thing started and the high school house party in Newport News, Virginia, that changed five guys' lives forever. So take me back to the start. What, what's, your, what's your musical background? No musical background. 
my family doesn't really come from music. Uh, my my dad's dad, he was kind of in a band and played fiddle and stuff like that. But he died before I was even born. So, but no musical background. I was always uh, a sports guy. I played baseball, basketball, football. Like I was always into sports. And this music thing just kind of like fell into our lap. Dude, it was the craziest thing. Sudden Impact came together because of a perfect combination of fate and testosterone. A guy named Todd White started the group, and he was just like doing little demos around town, this and that. I started talking to one of his girlfriends, and me and him were about to fight, actually. That's how we met. And he heard that I sang a little bit. I sang with a couple of people around in high school and stuff. And uh, this one night we went to a we went to a party and I saw him there and we were getting ready to fight. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, I hear that you sing. And I'm like, yeah, I sing a little bit. And he's like, hey, well, I'm starting this group. You know, why don't you come by the studio? Maybe we can work something out. So we go to the studio. I just happened to go by there one day and um, ended up getting on the track singing some stuff. Uh, at that time, it was uh, just three of us at that time. So instead of brawling and ruining a perfectly good house party, Todd and Aaron decided to sing, along with a guy named Eric, who, as far as we know, was not talking to either of their girlfriends. We did, like, this little hometown demo. Just started kind of working the demo around town a little bit. The demo really wasn't even that good, but, you know, we loved it and everything. What was it called? It was called Please Be Mine. Was it a ballad? Was it up-tempo? What was it? Uh, it was a ballad at first, and then we turned it into, we had this guy named Timmy Beal. He was kind of like a producer around town. We had this guy do a remix to it. And they, this is how the hook went. Please be mine, be my girl. Please be mine. That was it. That was that, like that was that was basically the whole song. <laughs> well, that's all you need. That was it. All right. After 30 years, I have finally heard music from Sudden Impact, and I like it. Now, this is all happening in 1989. Aaron Kane is 16 years old. It's the summer between his sophomore and junior years of high school. He's a star athlete with a demo tape. Whether he was the inspiration for Zac Efron's character in High School Musical, I cannot say. But Eric leaves the group. Three more guys join. Aaron's brother, Noel, Alan Healy, and Dave, whose last name I really should have asked for. Todd White makes a connection with a guy named Cecil Jenkins. Cecil puts the entertainment together for local church festivals. So he books them for a couple of those festivals, and the guys get to work on their vocals, practice their stage show. The buzz is starting to build. So they did what any ambitious young boy band would do, a photo shoot. The pictures turned out well, so they turned their favorite one, a shot of all of them under the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, into a poster. This teen movie's off to a good start. It's got a poster. It's got a near fist fight over a girl that leads to a friendship and the formation of a singing group. But to move the plot forward, we need a road trip. Cecil Jenkins was a good friend of Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye was about to get his posthumous star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Cecil wants to go to the ceremony, 
and he wants company. Cecil Jenkins says, hey guys, listen, Marvin Gaye is getting ready to get his star on Hollywood Boulevard. You know, just want to tell you guys, if you know, if you guys want to come out to L.A. with me, you're more than welcome to come out. Well, two guys in the group, Todd White and Alan Healy, their parents were the only ones that said, yes, you can go. Aaron's 17 by now. His little brother, Noel, is 15. And Mr. and Mrs. Kane are not about to let kids that age just drive across the country. Neither is Mrs. Dave's mom. But Todd and Alan drive out to Los Angeles for Marvin Gaye's Walk of Fame ceremony. An article about that ceremony that ran in the next day's L.A. Times points out that neither of Marvin Gaye's parents showed up, which is a shame, and which also tells you that there was an entertainment reporter for the L.A. Times who didn't know that Marvin Gaye's mother had died two years earlier and that Marvin Gaye's dad murdered him. So his parents are not there. But 400 other people are, including one very important person. Michael Bivens just happened to stop by that ceremony when two of the guys from my group were there. And at the time, we had that crappy demo, and we took a picture underneath the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. We took a picture, and we made a poster. And that's all we had. We had a poster. We had a crappy demo. So anyway, they take the crappy demo. They take the poster out to L.A. during Marvin Gaye's getting his star on Hollywood Boulevard. Michael Bivens ends up stopping by. Two guys in my group see Michael Bivens. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's Michael Bivens from New Edition. This is September 1990. We know that by the next summer, people would just be coming up to Michael Bivens and singing in his face. Todd and Alan don't have their whole group together to meet Michael Bivens, but they do have a demo tape and a poster. So they take bold action. They run up on Mike. Hey, sign, sign. This is the poster. This is a poster of, the, of us. Can you sign our poster? And Michael Bivens said, guys, get that shit out of my face. Get that new kids on the block poster out of my face. Okay, that's harsh. And they were like, no. They were like, no, 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 no. This is us. This is this is us. And he was like, are you kidding me? He was like, that's you guys? And at this time, Michael Bivens had just signed a three-artist production deal with Gerald Bugsby from Motown. And he had ABC, another bad creation, and he had Boys and Men, and he needed one more. Wouldn't you know, the two guys, Todd and Alan, hop in Michael Bivens' bins. They go to Motown that day. Michael Bivens didn't even hear the demo. Didn't even hear the demo. He just loved the poster so much. Now, if this were to happen in a movie, this would pull you out of the movie. One of the biggest pop stars on the planet wants to sign an act he's only met two-fifths of, whose songs and voices he's heard zero of, just because he's seen the poster? You'd be thinking, all right, somebody at Motown is going to step in here. But there are a couple things to consider. We've talked about the story of New Edition and how they fired Maurice Starr, the guy who had discovered and produced them when he paid them $1.87 for a world tour and a hit album. We've talked about how Maurice Starr went on to form New Kids on the Block pretty much completely out of spite. We've talked about how New Kids on the Block were the biggest pop act in the world in 1990. 
What we don't know is how this all felt to Michael Bivens. What we don't know is whether, as Maurice Starr formed New Kids to get back at New Edition, Michael Bivens might have wanted to sign Southern Impact to get back at Maurice Starr. Dollar signs and revenge at the same time. I would take it. We should also consider that this is real life. And as the saying goes, truth is fucking crazy. We actually got signed to Motown off of a poster without them even hearing any music. And you're, you're hearing about all this from across the country. Oh, my gosh. Michael Bivens called us during this time. Michael Bivens calls us. And and the guy, Todd and Alan, they're like, hey, Michael Bivens is on the line. And now you got to think this is at the time where Michael Bivens just BBD just came out. Right. And that album was amazing. Like that BBD new album had just come out. Michael Bivens is talking to us. Hey, how you doing? This is Michael Bivens. You know, um, we want to sign you guys here to Motown. And you got to think I'm thinking to myself. Yeah, right. We're talking to him on the phone. We're like, yeah, right. This is this ain't right. I'm like, Todd, who is this? You got somebody acting like Michael Bivens? And um, no, nah, it was really him. So what? Tell tell me what that feels like to you getting this call and finding out that you're like you've ascended to Motown. Man, it was it was craziness. It, like. First of all, it took me like a couple of days to actually realize that it was true. You know what I mean? Like, who thinks they, they're getting a call from Michael Bivens to sign you to Motown Records? And all we have is one... Cra- it does sound like a prank. Yeah. And all, and all we have is one crappy demo. That's it, you know? You know, back then, back then, that's the way it was. It, it was all about artist development. You know, that's... That's one thing in, in, in the music world today. That's why artists don't, you know, you don't have artists that stick around for a long time because the whole artist development thing has kind of been pushed to the side, you know. But back then, you know, you could get signed on a whim and, you know, they could develop you, you know. The music industry was flush back in 1990. After all, if you liked a particular artist and you wanted to hear a song or an album by them on your schedule, you had to buy it in physical form. If you wanted the album, you had to go to a store and put down anywhere from 10 to $18 to get the cassette or the compact disc. Around 4 million Americans did that with Bell Biv DeVoe's album Poison, so Michael Bivens had clout. And that clout allowed him to do something risky, like sign an act to Motown Records after only seeing their poster. It allowed the boys of Sudden Impact to reach the big time just by asking nicely. Back in the 70s and 80s, record labels took their time with new artists. They let them develop their sound and their look over the course of a few years, a few albums. It took Bruce Springsteen a couple years and a couple albums to come up with Born to Run. That development is generally the job of a department within record labels called A&R, Artists and Repertoire. A&R people find new artists, work with them to determine where they'll fit in the marketplace, help them develop an identity. And Michael Bivens had a good relationship with an A&R guy at another label. And we we signed with Motown, and then we started working for a little bit. And then Michael Bivens calls us up uh, one day and says, hey, listen, guys, 
I want to take you, I don't want you guys to be with Motown. I want you guys to go to Capitol Records. Now, still, mind you, Dave, we don't have any songs. I mean, we've been working on demos at the house. Uh, we have a six member in our group that was uh, the producer. He produced everything. He's actually my best friend right now. His name is Tim Bird. I make two mental notes here. One, find Tim Bird. And two, just really breathe with the fact that there's someone they call the sixth member of Sudden Impact. And so we're like, all right, cool. We'll go to Capitol because Michael Bivens had a, a good uh, relationship with the A&R guy over there. His name was Step Johnson. So we end up signing this huge deal. Still, mind you, Capitol hasn't heard any music. Still, mind you, we're, we're, we're going through all these deals and everything, and nobody has heard any music. They're going off of just a... Michael Bivens' words. They sign with Capitol Records. Capitol puts the boys up in a beach house in Virginia to bond with each other, rents them a studio nearby to write and record some songs. What were the influences? What did you, what did you sound like? I mean, our influences, people make fun of it, but New Kids on the Block was a big influence for us. New sure. Kids on the Block was huge influence for us. Uh, of course, New Edition, you know, back then it was New Edition, BBD, Bobby Brown, Keith Sweat, Teddy Riley, Guy. That's the we were trying. We were trying to be like the more R&B version of New Kids on the Block. The Virginia music scene would blow up a few years later with Timbaland and Missy Elliott and then Pharrell and the Neptunes. But at the time, Sudden Impact were the pioneers of the Virginia sound. I mean, maybe they were. I don't know. I've never heard anything. Before they developed their sound, before they even made a sound, they got their big break. And then, boom, Motown Philly comes out. And that's what really took us to that next level. What was shooting the video like? Did you know that you would be a part of it long in advance? Was it kind of last minute? What happened? Yeah, we, we knew. Uh, that was actually the first time that uh, when we were in the video, that was the first time that I had ever been to Philadelphia. We recorded the one part. I don't know if you're, the, I mean, the iconic part is Biv sitting in the middle of us and then we do this. Yep. We like point to the camera. To the point. Aaron is doing the sudden impact point to me over Zoom and I have fully left my body. The video comes out and the video blows up. Boys to men become stars. And so does Sudden Impact. Actually, the first time that Boys to Men was ever on MTV, there was a, um, a show on MTV. You probably remember, Dave, uh, with Martha Quinn. Yep. Martha Quinn had a show on there. I thought I think it was like called MTV Live or something like that. It, and that was the first time Boys to Men was ever on MTV and they had people calling in, right? Yeah. And get and guess what the first question was when somebody called in during that interview. The first question. I actually remember her name. Her name was Lydia from Utah. Uh-huh. And the first question, uh -huh. Boys of Men is just released their new album. Motown Philly just came out. They're on MTV for the first time. And the first question is, who's those white guys in the video? <laughs> <laughs>
Listen, I am not opposed to tracking down Lydia from Utah. And it's good that Boys to Men goes on to become the biggest selling R&B group of all time because it is absolutely criminal that the first question they get on their first MTV appearance is about sudden impact. But as Boys to Men is blowing up, sudden impact are being talked about on MTV with original VJ Martha Quinn, and they're on a major label, Capital. The Beatles were on Capital. The Eagles, the Beastie Boys, Juice Newton. They're on a huge label in a peak year for the recording industry. So they're being shown a taste of the good life. With Capital, it was fantastic, Dave. Like, I mean, they put us up in this huge house right on the beach, this amazing studio in Virginia Beach. They were sending us to Disney World. They were sending us to... Universal Studios, like... And and how old are you at this time? We're like 19, 20 at this time. So what's that lifestyle like? Are oh, you- man. You're, you're talking about some kids right out of high school that had a crappy demo. They got a huge advancement. Like back then, back then, the advancements, especially with Capitol Records, we were getting like huge advancements. An advance is an amount of money a record company gives you when they put you under contract. It's to keep you afloat while you're working on your thing. They take it out of your earnings when you start making money, but if you never do start making money, you don't even have to pay it back. From today's perspective, it is wild that corporations could do business this way at this level. But in 1991, that's how it worked. Aaron and the rest of the Sudden Impact guys were at the cusp of pop music's stardom. But in order to move forward into the great unknown, Aaron had to close a door on the surest thing he knew. I actually got a baseball scholarship coming out of high school, and that was a hard decision for me to make. It was go to college. I got a a scholarship to King's College in Tennessee. It was a really hard decision because baseball was my life ever since I just had a talent for it from the time I was five years old all the way up going out of high school. And I had to make a decision when I graduated high school, do I go to college, play baseball, or do I pursue this music thing? I'm getting ready to sign with Capitol Records, get a huge advancement. My mom actually had a conversation with her dad, my grandfather, and my grandfather, you know, because my parents wanted me to go to college and everything. And... um. My grandfather said, listen, if you make him go to college and he misses out on this music thing, he's probably, you know, going to have some resentment his whole life. You know what I mean? So I I, I said, listen, I'm in Boys and Men's video. I'm getting ready to get this huge advancement. I'm going with the music thing. Uh You know what I mean? And... I mean, what do you, what, what would you do, Dave? You're I mean, a little kid. Of, you're a little kid. Now, now yeah, I would yeah. take the advice. Yeah, you're on, you're on MTV, BET. Yeah. Get ready to sign with Capitol Records. This is very understandable. How, how big an advance are we talking? Uh, I mean, I don't really want to, okay. you know, you know say that, but uh, it, was, it was, it was nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, but I wish, you know, uh, you think that it's just going to keep coming, you know? And um, I definitely wish that I would have made some different decisions back then. 
I mean, I did some amazing stuff, but um, yeah, I wish I would have did a little something different with with my money back then, you know? Somehow you weren't at your wisest when you were 19. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how that happened, but I guess that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Sudden Impact is getting paid. They're getting put up on the beach. They're getting trips to Disney World. But, and this is how I know, we're talking about kids right now. The thing that means the most is a team jacket. I'll tell you a funny story, Dave. So at that time, BBD went on tour. And um, they went on tour and Michael Bivens gave everybody out BBD tour jackets with your name on them. Like they were really, really cool jackets. And so, of course, us being around Newport News, being around Virginia, we would always wear our BBD. You know, we're in Motown Philly video. We got BBD tour jackets on. It was like wherever we went. It was like we were celebrities and we really hadn't done anything. And what did that feel like? Oh, man, it was amazing. <laughs> I believe him. And I know a little bit about what he means. Having a normal life one day and then finding yourself in the middle of the entertainment industry the next is a thing I can relate to. It's exciting and it's disorienting. And you don't really want to talk about how weird it is while it's happening. You don't want to seem like you're bragging to someone who it hasn't happened for. You don't want to seem like you just fell off the turnip truck for someone who it's already happened to. But it's big. You have to talk about this stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah. Who's this guy? Oh, my God. Uh... This is the most nervous I think I've ever been. This is Damien Fahey. He was a VJ on MTV just after I left. He and I are in my backyard doing something we never do, which is watching old clips of ourselves. I found one of him on TRL that someone posted to YouTube. Reads like this. She sold almost 200 million albums, had 25 top 10 singles, won three Grammys, and a bunch of EMAs. Ladies and gentlemen, she put the M in MTV. This is Madonna. This is 2002, 2003. See, I keep my hand because my hand was shaking. So oh, I figured no. if I put it under my arm, it yeah. won't shake because oh, I was so God. nervous. Damien is interviewing Madonna on live television, a thing even seasoned professionals get nervous for. And Damien's just a few months into the job. And he has just been told she doesn't want to talk to him. She wanted Carson, mm -hmm. uh, refused to do the interview if it wasn't Carson. Carson Daly was the host of TRL from its premiere in 1998. Damien was brought on to be phased in as his replacement as Carson transitioned into his post-MTV life of hosting everything on television. They talked her into, they said, we don't have Carson, but we can do, uh, she said, well, I want John Norris if I can't get Carson. Mm -hmm. John Norris was like her second, because I guess right. he's been with, and they said, we don't have John Norris. Uh, we have Damien hosting the show mm -hmm. now. And it was sort of like, who the fuck is that? I have mm -hmm. no idea who that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they told me this story. This mm -hmm. is always good to know, you know, before so that you're that you're third tier, you That's know, and, and before an interview. It's strange watching these old videos, the haircuts, the clothes. It's like finding a video of yourself from high school, except ours aired on television. 
I want to see if we can put ourselves back into the mindset of those guys 20 years ago. Mostly, we can't remember what happened at all. Whenever old things come up, like every now and then somebody will digitize something yeah. uh, with me in it and put it up on YouTube. And I'll watch it, and it's like, oh, that's nice. Good and for that guy. Good for that guy. Yeah. Who is me. Yes. Like, who, that's my face and my body <laughs> right. and my voice, but I don't have a single recollection yes. of any of it. Yeah. I, I For me, I always say it was like... Um, it was like getting a head injury. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like if you've, ju- if you've ever been in a very bad car accident, that's perfect. You're in shock. It is like watching a different, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Look at that. What that guy did. Good for mm-hmm. him. That wasn't mm-hmm. me. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I just feel like a totally different kind of person. Like me, Damien got plucked out of his normal life and dropped right into the center of MTV, hosting TRL at the height of its popularity. He had been working overnights at a top 40 radio station in Boston while going to college. An MTV casting director came to town on a nationwide search to find a new rock VJ, and a coworker encouraged him to try out. He didn't want to do it. He had tried out for a local TV show a few months before and just eaten it at the audition. He was humiliated. He didn't want to be embarrassed again. But just to get his coworker off his back, he showed up. And yeah. so then I go to the radio station, waiting in the lobby with like three other DJs. One guy goes downstairs, you know, 15 minutes passes. He comes back up. Uh, okay, uh, Damien Fahey, you know, and I go downstairs and I go in the basement and it was so weird because it was, it was like, I, it was the last thing that I wanted to do. And then the second I got like the first laugh from the casting people, um, I was like, this is all I want to do. Oh my God. I love this. When you get a taste of that job, you start really wanting it. I said, when, would, when, when will I know, you know, about this? And uh, they said, well, it's going to take a while. We got to, you know, take the tapes back to New York and have our bosses look at it and everything. And I said, okay, well, I'll be in touch. I'll be in touch because this, this is really fun, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, like, I just, like, you know, got in my car and drove home. And, you know, I remember seeing, like, a license plate of the car stop in front of me. The first car stopped in front of me um, at a stop sign. It was, like, 248VJ. Five, four, whatever. I'm like, that's a sign. I'm getting this fucking job. Holy yeah. shit. Damien got a call back in New York. He met a friend there the night before. They had some drinks. So he showed up a little hungover. And here's the thing about that. I can't recommend it in good conscience, but it kind of works. If you have a headache and a sore stomach to focus on, that is less energy to give to your nerves. He went back home to Boston and then he got a phone call. Another callback. They're like, this is the last callback, the final round. It's between you and this other guy. And I'm like, oh, my God, don't tell me that. And yeah. So, do, you, do you know who the other guy was? Uh, D. Snyder's son. Oh, shit. Jesse Snyder. This is rock royalty we're talking about here. The son of D. Snyder, lead singer of heavy metal band Twisted Sister. The guy who testified before Congress against explicit lyrics record labels. This is very serious. And Damien is going to have to step up his game. I went home for the weekend. Uh, from, 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 from school. And I said, I'm gonna have my dad take me out, buy me clothes for this cool clothes. And so I, my dad's like, of course, you know, go out, we spent $200 at structure. Of course you did. I had like very big jeans, leather square toed dress shoes, uh, like a, a very patterned. It was like an aqua in maroon, like Fleur de Lis kind of like pattern thing going on with the shirt button down. Uh, and then on top of that, like a, um, like a, 
like a, a red, a deep, like burgundy red uh, um, leather jacket from like, like a, like a Chicago cop would wear like in the 1970s. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so that was like my, I'm going to, wow, I'm going to New York, baby. I can see this outfit very clearly and I don't like it. But Damien takes a train down from Boston for the callback. He's nervous. He's not hungover this time, so he has that much more energy to devote to being nervous. I remember waking up that morning and I was, I, you know, super nervous. Uh, couldn't eat anything. Uh, my mom's like, your stomach is upset. Here, take these large vitamins. I don't need to tell you that Damien vomited on that train. Kids, don't take large vitamins from your mother's purse on an empty stomach before a big audition. But still, Damien knows he looks good. I remember getting, walking into MTV with that outfit on, and Vinny comes out, casting director, and he goes, hey, good to see you. You know, we're all ready for you. He, and he, he, uh, I go, well, I'm ready. Let's do this. Uh-huh. And he looks me up and down and he goes, let's get you some new, into some new clothes. Uh-huh. And I'm like, but I spent $200 in structure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. A week later, Damien gets a call from the head of casting. They're giving him a contract to be a VJ starting right away at the MTV Beach House. Where are you feeling it? Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Like, Yeah. Yeah, remember where I was, remember what was on, you know, television, remember, like, the smell of the air, the way the air smelled. I remember my fucking giant Nokia cell phone. Uh-huh. I remember waiting by the fucking phone at the kitchen table. Yeah. And then it rang, and then I wanted to, like, I didn't want to pick it up while, like, you know, hello! You know, yeah. I wanted to, like, let it ring three times, don't sound too, you know, and then I picked it up. And, like uh, they would resend the job offer if you answer the phone too. You're quickly. too excited for this. Yeah, yeah it's not what we're looking for. Right. Let's, actually, let's get Jesse Snyder. The job of an MTV VJ is a dream job for a person of a certain age, but for a person of a certain kind, people like me and Damien, it's an emotional challenge. Someone who experienced a lot of like loneliness and feeling invisible for for a lot of years in throughout, you know, your teens, mm-hmm. to hear you know see a giant audience it's really scary and you just imagine that they're gonna boo you or they're not gonna care Mm -hmm. and so it was all that was in my head so i wanted to be like really cool i wanted to say the cool bands what bands are you gonna do i don't know what do people like what is gonna make people think i'm cool yeah and it was just like all that and that i mean that lasted for years when you were standing like on the edge of this thing like when you were just starting this job yeah you knew it was going to bring you some sort of, like, fame. Right? Yeah. What did that look like? What specifically? Like, in my head, what did it look yeah. like? Um, I think I kind of went in. Um, I hosted a few shows, and they sort of were like, you need to just do what Carson does. Like, you need to be yeah. just like Carson. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm never going to be as big as Carson. I can't do what he does. So I'm just yeah. going to be, like, this mid-tier, like, VJ. Mm-hmm. And so... I think in my head, I, I never really had like these huge, like, oh my God, I'm going to be so fucking famous. I'm going to be, you know, I never had right. that. It was, it was like, I don't know, for some reason, it, I just never stepped into like, this is what my life's going to be. A very strange thing happens when you start to achieve a conventional and public kind of success. You just start wanting more conventional and public success. But the problem is, who decides what that success should look like? Some have yeah. used the MTV job as a stepping stone to untold wealth, right. right? 
and and then some have just vanished. Yeah. And um, I for, like for me, I just vanity wise, mm-hmm. I don't want some stranger somewhere. Yeah. To be like, oh, that guy got the job and then nothing happened after. Yes. He fucked up. A hundred percent. Like, I don't know. I don't know who this person is who would react that way. I'll yes. probably never see that person. Right. But that stranger somewhere yes. has so much control over me. <laughs> totally. Because I like just the idea that I'm not doing enough for him. Yes. And I don't know him and I right. don't know what's enough for him. Right. But like, uh, and, and, I, and I didn't go in wanting to please that guy. Right. My choices on some level have been guided by a ghost, a fictional character, some guy in some bar somewhere, some dick on Twitter, someone I don't know who thinks I'm a loser. I went in just wanting to be close to where things were happening. Yeah, that was the, to me too. use my skills. Yeah. And, and to like, you know. Yeah. Um, have a better professional life than I had before. Yeah. Like that used all of the dumb shit about yeah. myself that I was taught to think yeah. was frivolous. That's all I wanted. And then immediately this vanity comes in yeah. where it's like, well, I have to keep yeah. doing bigger and better things yeah. that I don't want. We're complicated people, us former MTV VJs, guided on some level by voices, by someone else's idea of success. When I manage to shake that voice off and think about my life rationally, I know I'm doing what I want to be doing. Damien is an executive producer on Family Guy, so he knows he's doing what he wants to be doing. Plus, he has a really nice house, and I kind of want that too, but that's beside the point. We're both happy with our lives and our jobs, but the real work sometimes, still, is to bust those ghosts. If Aaron Kane of Sudden Impact is troubled by ghosts, if he's worried that some fictional asshole somewhere is having a laugh at his expense for appearing in a big music video and then never releasing an album, it doesn't come through at all. He's excited when he talks about this stuff. In his voice, you can still hear that kid who nearly got punched in the face at a high school party and got pulled into the music business instead. He's enthusiastic. It's like he still can't believe his luck. Just to recap the scores here, Sudden Impact is on their second major label record deal. They're making an undisclosed but nice amount of money. They're featured in one of the biggest videos of 1991. They've released zero songs and everybody's talking about them. But this movie is still just getting going. But when once we did that video, it kind of took us to another level. There was anticipation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, everybody was, like, waiting on this white group to, like, you know, oh, there's this white group that's down with Boys the Men and down with Michael Bivens from New Edition. Like, what's going on with these guys? And what was going on? How far along was the album? We did four songs under Capitol Records. And they were cool. Two of the songs were really, really cool out of the four. Again, produced by my boy, Tim Bird. So from there, Michael Bivens gets another situation. You know, he's got Boys and Men, he's got ABC off of Motown that really did big things. Boys and Men's doing huge things. So Motown says, hey, uh, Mike, I want to give you your own label called... Do you, know, do you know the name of Michael Bivens' label? Biv 10. Exactly. Biv 10. The A&R person at Capitol who Michael Bivens liked 
the person he trusted to develop sudden impact and make them as big as new kids on the block, left Capitol. And Michael wanted the guys to move to his label, Biv 10. The problem was the guys were comfy at Capitol. So when Biv called us up, right, Biv called us up and said that I want to take you off of Capitol now and put you on Biv 10, we really weren't feeling that because we were living the life of Capitol. We're on, we've got a nice house on the beach. We're going to Disney World. You know, we're getting money. And that didn't sit well with Mike when we said that. And he kind of got offended a little bit when we said that because he felt like he's made everything happen for us anyway. He's getting his own label. We should be honored to be on Biv 10. And, you know, maybe that was a mistake on our part. You know, we don't know. It, again, comes back to being little kids again. You know what I mean? And you're a little kid living on the beach. You're happy, you know? Sure. Did you have a manager? No. Okay. With a feeling of loyalty to Michael Bivens and no one else to guide them, the guys made the decision to dance with the guy who brought him. So, like, a couple months pass or whatever, we end up not being with Capital anymore. Got to get rid of the house. Stop recording at the big studio. Did, did you lose the, the rights to the songs you had already recorded? Yep. Okay. Yep. Capital, that's, that's Capital's songs now. But anyway, so we go back to Newport News, and then that's once Biv 10 things started happening, that's when the whole East Coast family thing started happening. And that was great. Uh, Biv said that we're going to do a song. He started getting all these groups together. I want to do this song with all these groups. And that's where Hayden and Yvette and Kali and Ten Ten and all these other groups start coming into the picture. Aaron and the guys, who are now on their third label, and at least their second name, White Guys, W-H-Y-T-G-I-Z-E, take part in the East Coast family one-for-all-for-one music video. They're wearing sport coats on a hot Houston day. And then we did the video in Houston, Texas. And, um, man, let me tell you something. That day we did that video, we did it in, like, this warehouse. And, Dave, it was, like... 110 degrees at like seven o'clock in the morning. It was like, it was crazy. And you, you guys are wearing layers. Oh, you did you see us in the video? We got oh, yeah. jackets on. Yeah, we got yeah, we got jackets. On. You can't tell in the video. No, but we were just soaked. So we did that. We did the East Coast Family song. And that actually went to number one on the R&B charts. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, it did but really well. Yeah, that song actually went to number one on, on the R&B charts. Huge song. That was fantastic for me because I sang the leads of the part and the song. And uh, it was funny. My mom picks me up from the airport. I'm coming back from Houston. My mom picks me up from the airport. As soon as I get into the car... The song comes on the radio. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, this is me on the radio. Oh, man, it's very that thing you do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm finally on the radio. 
Finally. And this is how long after you after you moved into the Capitol House? Like what is this been two years now? This was yeah, this was probably about two years. Yeah, you're right. It's a couple years into their brush with the big time, and the guys have finally released something. It's a couple quick lines on a posse track, but it's something. And if you've seen the one for all for one video, the one where we found Yvette Nicole Brown's secret life as a singer, the one where we met Hayden. You know, there are more than a few artists on the Biv 10 label. There are many, and they're all waiting for their shot and waiting. And Michael isn't finished signing artists yet. He brings on a girl group who you might remember from around the turn of the millennium. I don't know if you remember 702. Mm-hmm. Where my girl's at, et cetera. We're, exactly. So anyway, he, he picks up 702, and everybody on Biv 10 is pissed off. Like, like, are you kidding me? You just picked up this other group. And another group he had called Subway put them out. And we're all like, what the heck is going on, dude? Like, we're supposed to be next. And you're picking up new groups. Like, what's going on? We're supposed to be next. So slowly but surely, everybody off of Biv 10 started getting dropped off, getting dropped off. This person got dropped off. This person got dropped off. And everybody's like, wow, what is going on here? Like, we just did all this amazing stuff. And all these artists don't have a record deal anymore. It was because the whole uh, new edition went back on tour and, Michael Bivens still had BBD. They were still, like, he just didn't have time for that, you know? And it's a shame because he really could have made all that happen, but he just, he would have had to say stop to BBD and stop to New Edition for all of that to, like, really happen. And it just, just sucks for all of us because we thought, you know, oh, we're going to come out. We're going to be like boys and men. And next thing you know, nobody has a record deal. So now here we are in Newport News, sitting there and don't have no deal. Another complication for Sudden Impact. But this movie is still in its first act. We'll have more with Aaron Kane and a talk with the guy many people call the sixth member of Sudden Impact, producer Tim Bird. They'll tell us the rest of the story, and we'll see if we can get even deeper into the inner circle of sudden impact. Next time on Waiting for Impact, a Dave Holmes passion project. This has been an Exactly Right production. Written by me, Dave Holmes. Produced by Hannah Kyle Crichton. Recorded, mixed, and sound designed by Andrew Epen. Additional engineering and assembly by Annalise Nelson. Music by Ben Wise. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Executive produced by Karen Kilgariff, Georgia Hardstark, and Danielle Kramer. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Exactly Right. And follow me at Dave Holmes. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Binge the show ad-free on Stitcher Premium. For a free month, 
Head to stitcherpremium.com slash impact and enter promo code impact when you select a monthly plan. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.